Coming up on Office Hours with Carp and Loge, we talk about social media, threads, Twitter, Blue Sky. I really like Blue Sky. Peter does not like Blue Sky as much. It's probably because I'm cooler than him. And also, I make references to 1996 Wired Magazine. You gotta check this out. Welcome, people of the pod, to special summer school edition of Office Hours with Carp and Loge. Summer 2023, we're close to wrapping up the series, but we're going out with gusto. I am, as always, your co-host, Peter Loge, an associate professor in the School of Media Public Affairs at the George Washington University, and I am joined by Dave Carp, associate professor, George Washington University School of Media and Public Affairs, and the member of this podcast who doesn't use words like gusto in a sentence. Gusto. Gusto? Gusto. It's underused. It's underutilized. Do our students tell you how old your references are, or is that just me? I email them things to catch them up on the pop culture references. They, instead of, you know, watching a lot of bad television, they studied, were good students. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Both of us spent a little time in Europe, right? Yeah. And you were you were in Paris? You were in- I went to Paris and wrote two blog posts. Personality-wise, <laughs> it is so on point that, like, like my wife came with and she was like, I want to like walk through fantastic neighborhoods and like stop into shops and like see the city. And I was like, I want to sit in a coffee house and read and write things in Paris while the United States is asleep and not bothering me. It was stunning. That sounds like every angst ridden college student's dream. You sit in a cafe de mago with your cafe and you write big important things. I mean, they weren't big important things. They were blog posts, but I think they were pretty good blog posts. Yeah, I, I have to say I was in, so I was in Bilbao. Um, I'm affiliated with a think tank in in Bilbao in the Basque country in, in Spain, and my wife came over for part of it. You know, Tolkien calls it, says Bilbo, not Bilbao, right? Bilbao. You know, that kind of cultural mocking, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, but so my wife, I spent so much time there and I keep saying, I want to spend a semester teaching there. So it's always fun. Like, look, I'm going to come and see what it's like to be in the city, just wandering around without you. I don't get why you love the city so much. So we were there. She hung out. I did some work. We had some meetings. I had a grad student with me, met with some government officials and some others. So I, I didn't write blog posts, but I did spend a lot of time rushing to and from things. And then we actually, then we spent time. We drove over, drove down the coast a bit or up the coast a bit into the French side of the Basque country. So... It was lovely, but the politics there, I got to tell you, are a hot mess, just like they are here. Hot mess. So what do we, uh, we've got stuff to do. Before we get to it today, though, I do I do want to start with a sad note. A, uh, the Beekeeper Group, which is a progressive communications firm here in town, was scheduled to have a conference coming up in a couple of weeks in Annapolis, and, and you and I, Dave, we're going to do a a live podcast thing from there. Uh, the conference, however, has been postponed um, because the organizer, a partner at the Beekeeper Group, Beekeeper Group's first employee, a young woman named Hannah Levy, passed away suddenly, uh, very recently. 33, uh, six-month-old baby, rocked the the advocacy community, obviously. So um, our condolences to to Ms. Levy and, and her family and to everybody over at Beekeeper. The, the DC advocacy community is small and we don't. We didn't know her, but by all accounts, she touched a lot of lives, and it was pretty remarkable. So, our thoughts are with with her and and her firm and her family. Uh, so, with with that, with that sort of a rough and weird transition, um, 
we do have other stuff to to get to. The important reminder that we're all people doing work, but we also have to turn to the work. And the work at the moment we're going to talk about mostly today is you have thoughts on threads. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't had this podcast in a month and never a month goes by without Elon Musk doing a bunch of things that I want to make fun of. And we've had a particularly eventful few weeks with Twitter breaking more than it has broken before. A couple of weekends ago, they installed rate limits on Twitter, meaning you get, uh, for, uh, they start off as if you're not paying for the service, if you're, if you're not subscribed to Twitter Blue, then you get 600 tweets to read per day. And then you're, you're cut off. That's your limit, which is an interesting thing to do for, on an ad supported platform. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of writing about sort of what are the fundamental elements of Twitter. Never before had I mentioned the infinite scroll as a fundamental unit because I didn't think I needed to. That was just kind of, you know, like it also uses, uses Electron, but I wouldn't think to mention that because of course it does. But so they turned that off, claiming that this was to to fight bots and spam. That's obviously not true. Like that, that's not how you would fight bots and spam. They probably shut that off because he's fired so many of his engineers and they weren't paying their Google Cloud bill. Uh, and he was having their last remaining engineers sort of build a replacement on their own. And the day that they rate limited was also the day that they were either supposed to uh, lose access to global, uh, Google Cloud or switch over to the new systems. So we don't know for sure. The best reporters on this beat are, happen to be on vacation right now. But it seems most likely that, like, Elon just did a stupid thing and broke his site more than usual. And in the midst of that, Meta has been saying for a while that they wanted to build a Twitter clone. Uh, and so they came right out and they were like, okay, um, I guess we'll launch it this week. So Threads launched. This was just last week. Threads launched. It already has 100 million users. And I feel like this. we're now at a point, like I, I was predicting at the end of last year that we were about to add into 2005, essentially, that we were going to go back to a moment where there wasn't one site occupying Twitter's niche, but instead there were an awful lot of sites all doing the same thing. And people would respond like we did with social media sites back in 2005 of just having an account on everything and wishing that the mess would clear itself up. But I, I think this sort of raises a question for for advocacy professionals of, okay, our, our audience used to, like the terminally online audience used to all be on Twitter. Now they're in like six different places. Are we just going to post the same content to all six places? Or like how, like how do we sort out Twitter, Threads, Mastodon, Blue Sky, the other ones whose names I can't even remember? Like what, what do we do with this mess and where is it headed? So I've been giving a lot of thought to that. So let's talk about that. Before we do, I do have to give a shout out to uh, Stephanie on Twitter, who sent me a Blue Sky invite because you wouldn't. And we promised her favorite listen, favorite, uh, favorite listener status. Now, thank you for favorite listener status. You do, though I can't believe you let Peter on to Blue Sky. Blue Sky was supposed to be for the cool people. And I got on, I got on Blue Sky and I got on and how do you like Blue Sky so far? See, I get, a, I use Twitter for news and soccer gossip. And not enough people are there for that. There's no sports on Blue Sky so far. That's true. And right. So I, for me, it was like post part of this, you know, infinite bucket of social media sites. I was on post. I thought, well, this is interesting. There's not enough here, which of course is, you know, part of the problem. If there isn't enough there, there won't be enough there. But I, yeah. so I'm loving Blue Sky. Okay. And I was thinking about this yesterday because like my favorite time on Twitter, like the time period I was enjoying Twitter the most was summer 2018 because that was the summer that I was doing the first version of the Wired project. And so I'd go into the library, like GW's library every day, hunker down and read like between six to eight old Wired magazines. 
And, you know, some of it was just sort of recording one of my findings, kind of like trying to do the, the real project. But occasionally I would bump into something that was really interesting or fun, and I wanted to tell somebody. And the options were like, yell this at a librarian who's wondering why I've been there for six weeks, or like take a screenshot and just sort of, you know, kind of like word vomit my ideas onto Twitter. And so I just started doing that. I had the hashtag, I created the hashtag Wired Archive, which was nice because I was the only person using it. And I would just like fully geek out on like, here is this two pages from 1997. Isn't this grand? And dozens of people thought it was interesting, but those people thought it was really interesting. Right. So I like had this niche community and then like, you know, occasionally like Chris Anderson, who's the old Wired Editor in Chief, like, he responded on a few things. He's like, oh, no, here's some backstory here. So it was actually, like, practically useful. But it was like, there's, like, little niches of weirdos on Twitter. And I could be a weirdo and they would find me and it was just fun. And, like, you can't really do that on Twitter. I mean, like, I guess you could do that. But, A, most of those weirdos aren't there. They've left for Mastodon and Blue Sky. But also, like, Twitter, like, there was a, a poll over the weekend on Twitter. Like, some user posted a poll that got, like, I think several hundred thousand votes. That was about like, do the Jews control society and are they trying to bring down Western civilization? And like 70% of the people who took the poll were like, yep, absolutely. We are white nationalists and anti-Semites. Like I still have a Twitter account. I'm still posting my content there for whatever audience is left. But like, it's not really fun geek out land when also the people who love Nazis and wish they could be Nazis have taken over the site i'm just, like i'm no we're like we're not doing both those things there at once and blue sky you know it's still invite only so it's still growing but its growth picked up over the that weekend when they read limited like people started showing up including a bunch of the like holly side twitter nerds who i like love and cherish and like a bunch of the like you know tech and science technology studies people and since it's the summer i'm like reading a lot of the wired magazines again so the past few days, I've been reading a magazine every day, taking a screenshot of the interesting thing and sharing it. I'm doing the Wired Archive thing on Blue Sky, and it now has the subset of old Twitter that digs that. Like, I'm getting like a dozen people liking and replying and sometimes saying, you know, somebody yesterday was like, oh, if you think this is interesting, you should see this thing from Boing Boing Magazine in 1997. And I was like, you know what? This is definitely what I'm doing today instead of my job, which is like pure geek out fun. So Blue Sky, it's got the shit posters. It's, you know, like it doesn't have sports commentary. Like it doesn't, like if I want to know what's happening in the NBA, I still have to go to Twitter or to threads. We'll have to threads for a sec in a second. But the like people making jokes and being super nerdy, like that I think has, has largely gone to Blue Sky. And since that's what I love Twitter for most, like I, like I'm in, like I'm all my like observational comments are going on Blue Sky now because I'm comfortable there. And the people would appreciate her there. So, a couple of things, and I want to I want to pivot this to the comms piece of it first. I was hoping for an easy transition to this tweet of all things, and you provided. So, Madeline Toomey runs a firm called Rufus and Maine. Put the link in the footnotes. Uh, Medium, I post on Medium, but also PeterLoach.com podcast. Madeline Toomey quote tweets somebody in June. She says me explaining political TikTok to my clients, when she's quoting is, quote, to be able to shitpost, you have to understand the subject matter really well. Antimatter founder and CEO Jonathan Lebov told TechCrunch last year, in a sense, shitposting is the highest form of consciousness. <laughs> I saw that and immediately thought of you. And I tweeted at you, but you've already said you're not on that platform. But I think then you you get to something uh, super important in comms, which is you've got to go where your audiences are. 
Right. Right. You have to talk to people where they are about what they're what they're talking about. And like I, I go to I use Twitter again for for the soccer news and some other other breaking news. It's just an easy way to consolidate that kind of stuff. It's just not there on on Blue Sky yet. If it gets around through, that's terrific. But the first rule of comms is who are you talking to? Yeah. Right. Like, who do you want to do what as a result of what you're doing? How will the world be different tomorrow because of what you do today? And if all you're doing is dumping the same content on every possible platform, you're just cutting and pasting, you're committing one of the sins of the early web, right? Where early websites were magazine articles, but on your screen, not on a newspaper, which was not an effective use of the medium. You know, cutting and pasting tweets onto LinkedIn doesn't make any sense because LinkedIn's really active. I think you mock me all the time for this. Like, you, you are right that... There is a chunk of what Twitter used to do that LinkedIn now does. Right. Like, I, I always love, like, part of it is because professors are the profession that use LinkedIn the least. Right. You don't need to go and search for a new job. Like, and because of that also, like, every time I get an email from LinkedIn, it's either weekly or monthly, they'll send out a, like, the following employers would be interested in you. And it's always just a reminder of, like, how bad their algorithm is for people like me, because it's things like, would you like to be a sales associate at Amazon. Would would you like to be a um adjunct professor at Georgetown? It's like hey, like not to sound snobbish, but I actually am not going to give up my tenured associate professor position to adjunct at another university. Like that's not like I, I get Facebook ads asking me if I want to be a student in the master's in public health program yeah. at George Washington <laughs> University where my wife teaches. Yeah. I am the yeah. director of the School of Public Affairs, or I can be a graduate student in my wife's department. But I think though, for the point is that's exactly the point though, right? So if you're you got to know if you're talking to on LinkedIn and how you want to talk to them, Twitter has its own sort of sense and logic, right? Facebook has its own sense of logic. TikTok, you just can't cut and paste across the board, right? So who do you need to reach? Where are they? What do they need to hear? So and this is where I think Threads gets kind of interesting. Um, so again, the, the thing that makes Threads different from Blue Sky or Mastodon is that it is starting with immense scale, already at a hundred million. And basically limitless budget, right? Like, it, like not actually limitless, but on the scale that we're playing here of like a few billion dollars is the most that any company could really spend in this space. And Mark Zuckerberg spent 10 to $15 billion every year for the past few years trying to build the metaverse. He can drop a billion or so in order to, uh, if nothing else, heckle Elon Musk into getting into a ring with him so that he can punch Elon Musk in the face. Which he should really do now that I don't know if you know I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Elon, who was definitely on the wrong drugs, by the way, the Wall Street Journal reported about uh, his ketamine usage, like on the job. So like that's now a reported fact. But like Elon's on I don't know what set of drugs, but uh, I think it was two days ago on Twitter. Since he's mad about Threads launching, he said that uh, Zuck is a cuck, and then suggested they should have a literal dick measuring contest. So like Mark Zuckerberg's got a convince him to get into a ring. And my prediction is that Mark Zuckerberg is then going to give him a concussion that fixes whatever has gone wrong with him and made him act this way for the past while. Like, I think he's going to unconcuss the guy or something. The actual point that I wanted to make about threads is because of the scale, the thing that I've immediately noticed, like, I think there's a bunch of social media brand managers with a lot of pent up energy who are having fun on threads because they kind of couldn't on Twitter anymore. Right. And that means immediately that's where the brands are. I expect that's where a lot of the sports come out. Like already, um, like the sports sites that I follow for NBA, they all still have Twitter accounts, 
but they're mostly posting commentary to threads because they've been so done with Elon for so long that they're over there. Now that makes threads not really my thing, like it, particularly since I never really was on Instagram. So I didn't have a, they're, they're not seeding with accounts that I already followed. When I'm open threads, most of what I see is celebrities I don't care about and influencers that I have never heard of posting pretty bland stuff. So it is definitely not for me, but for advocacy professionals, I think it's actually a really interesting thing to explore a bit because the Instagram audience is there. And if you were already doing something on Instagram, it was probably more visual. You should be thinking about when that massive audience is starting to look for text. We we can play here in many of the ways that we could play with Twitter. I don't know how long, how well it'll last. There's a lot they need to build out on that site. But like I, I do kind of, I can wrap my head around it being a threat to Twitter in terms of advocacy professionals and advertisers and brands because it's already got that scale and that's most, they mostly wanted that scale without the white nationalists and without Elon breaking things all the time. One of the challenges for social media is building a big enough following and also finding enough interesting people to to follow. Uh, MNR Strategic Services, a progressive comms firm here in town. Full disclosure, I was a senior vice president there a long, long time ago. I'm not plugging them for that. Well, so when you say a long, long time ago, it was like 70 years ago, right? Because you were old. Give or take. Give or take. All right. So on July 6th, which is roughly forever ago in social media time, MNR posted some quick thoughts on, on how to use threads. Again, I'll put this at peterloge.com podcasts and on my Medium page. The, the early guidance on threads, Meta's answer to Twitter, they love what they like about threads. It's an easy captive audience. You're not migrating to a new platform because it's Instagram, looks and feels like Twitter, good for rapid response, posts can be longer. Their recommendation is download the app, check it out, try threads. And like you said, take it for a test drive. If you have Instagram followers, there's really no disadvantage to doing this. And you can try, some people have been cutting and pasting Twitter content onto threads. Because like you, I, I have an Instagram account, um, mostly for my purposes, it's Pinterest. Oh, look, here's a picture of a cool car. Here's a picture of a cool car. And I would spend like hours just looking at other people's pictures of cool things, which is not not a good use of time. But if you're active on Instagram, you got a following, sure, go to threads, but bear in mind, again, it's what are you saying to whom, what do they need to hear, and what, what do you want them to do about it, right? So at some level, comms is comms is comms, mm -hmm. right? This isn't the brand new thing that's going to change how we do communications. This is an interesting new medium. You've got to adjust to the nuances of the medium, but it's all about who do you want to get to do what. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like in the course of this conversation, I'm warming up to threads more than I have been. Because again, for my purposes, like one thing that they don't, the two things they don't have right now. They do not have a reverse chronological feed of the people you follow. It's an algorithmic feed. That's all they have so far. And they don't have hashtags or search or like much search. You can search people's names, but no terms. And that, those are like the two most basic things on Twitter. Every time I go to threads, I mute a bunch of influencer accounts in the hopes that that will lead the algorithm to get a better sense of like what I might want. Um, but it keeps seeming not at all like Twitter for me and my purposes. But that's because Blue Sky feels like Twitter to me because what I want is the weirdos who will talk to me about old wire magazines. And they're all over there. But for for advocacy comms, for people who are trying to reach a mass audience and get them to do a thing, it seems like a much more natural translation, a move over, of the things that you were trying to do on Twitter with a dwindling audience and a breaking platform 
you can now pretty easily do on, over on threads and achieve most of the same results because everybody's going there and at least trying it for now. And I think as you do that, Madeline Toomey again, giving a shout out to, to Madeline, wrote a piece in, or was quoted in campaigns and elections in June, actually. The story, which again, I'll put in the, the, the footnotes, is whether, you, whether you're on it or not, 2024 will be the TikTok election. And Madeline, who did the TikTok Influencer Summit for President Biden, did a lot of the TikTok stuff on the transition, put the uh, Biden-Harris ads in video games and stuff in the 20 cycle, said that traditional political marketing cycle has started with research before moving to creative development phase to produce perfect 30-second ad, then deploying that creative across the paid organics. Instead, she says, because you have to move faster on social, she says, listening to the conversation, what are people talking about? What are the issues they care about? Create content that speaks to those issues. Maybe that means creating three different pieces of video content daily, see what works on social, iterate from there, and have this be a constant feedback loop, which is one of the things that's conceptually it's the same as traditional comms, right? Where you want to know how are people responding? You'd poll, you'd cut an ad, you'd throw it up, you'd poll. Now it's just constant feedback. So it's engaging in a conversation. You're talking to voters, right? One of the things you and I talked about before hitting record on this was that one way to think about this is like canvassing. You and I both canvassed, right? We'd be handed a, a turf, your map, with the houses you're supposed to talk to and the ones you weren't supposed to talk to and what you're supposed to say at the house. And you go to every house and you say, hey, Dave, my name is Peter. I'm here with Massburg, the Massachusetts Public Interest Research Group. You might remember as far as successes on- you mentioned Berg to me? I, it's, I'm going into the rap I remember from when I was in college. You know I have- It was the thing, but you have the conversation on the doorstep, right? And that direct mail is an inefficient conversation. Television is a less efficient conversation. Social media- and get back to having an efficient conversation. Hey, you know, um, the conversation here seems to be about Megan Rapinoe retiring from the U.S. national team after the Women's World Cup that, that starts real soon. Pino's been a really outspoken advocate on LGBT issues, on civil and human rights in the United States. That's what people are talking about? Great. Let's talk about sports and advocacy, sports advocacy and climate. How is it affecting athletes? Lionel Messi, arguably the best soccer player of all time, is going to be playing pro soccer in Miami. You're moving from Paris to Miami. That's going to have an impact on how you play the game. Like, but that's the conversation, right? So it's, again, it's the same logic, taking advantages of the nuances of the medium. What do you think? I, mean, I think that's right. Again, I, the main thing I would say to advocates is this is all going to keep developing over the next six months. Yeah. Like, I'm actually not, I'm not entirely sure that threads last longer than a month. It probably will, but there's a, they need to add, they need to add a reverse chronological feed and a search function like yesterday. Like, they clearly launched this thing before it was ready because Twitter was shooting itself in the foot and the mouth simultaneously. And they were like, all right, let's get in there. So I'm sure they've got developers who are building out sort of the most basic stuff. But if they don't, my guess is that we're going to see everybody signing up and then nobody coming back. Um, and it'll go to town pretty quick and then we'll be left with, again, Blue Sky and Mastodon and Twitter and then six more things will launch. Or like, again, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, I'm saying, I'm telling all the developers who work on Meta, like, take a vacation from Meta, you're working on threads now because I'm really fucking annoyed with Elon Musk and I would like to break him in all of the ways. So like, it, it's possible that Elon Eloning at Mark Zuckerberg is going to le lead to more of Meta's infinite resources getting poured into making that a success. And I think I've said this before on, on the pod, but like the 
the core Twitter technology is the cutting edge of 2007. It can't be that hard to build out with enough skilled engineers. Um, oh, by the way, we didn't mention as, as an aside, Elon is uh, threatening or maybe at this point has filed a lawsuit uh, saying that Zuckerberg played dirty by hiring a bunch of the people that Elon fired to build a thing similar to the stuff that they already worked on. Uh, he fired them and claimed that they were incompetent, but then apparently they're not allowed to work in the field anymore, and he's upset that they did. Such a dumb boy. The real point here is just that we, as in the and, and in political advocacy, have gotten used to having a pretty stable social media environment over the past decade, right? Like, we've had a couple new entrants. Recently, we, we got TikTok, so it's looking like the really new thing. And that's been around for a few years now. But like most of the big platforms have been around long enough that we kind of figured out how they fit together. We are going through a period of real chaos that's going to continue. So a couple months out, there will be some new entrants. Some will rise, some will fall. Twitter is going to keep on getting worse. Anything you try now, you should probably try again or sort of revisit in a few months because things might just be a little different. The platforms might move. The people might move. Everything is going to be more chaotic than you were used to it being. This raises another question. So the most precious commodities any of us have are time and attention. Money buys you time because you can hire people to do things. And at some level, it can buy you attention because you can hire people to other people to think about things. If you're working on a campaign, um, some campaigns, money's an issue. On big campaigns, it's attention and time that are the issues. All right, you're talking about trying out platforms, revisit them. We're going to be measuring metrics. You get constant feedback on the metrics. You can dive really deep on who's engaging with what and at what level. And what are they doing about it? Are they donating? Are they volunteering? You know, that kind of stuff. In the real, in the real world of an advocacy campaign, how do you decide where to allocate limited social media resources? Again, it depends a little on what you're trying to do. All right, this is going to be a tangent, but it's going to answer the question. Yesterday, I was reading the November 1996 issue of Wired Magazine, because that's what you, I... I just want to point out, you mock me. <laughs> so yesterday, well, I was but, reading the, the classic November 96 issue. No, but like, that's Let me tell you, we all know where that... Welcome. I'm not, so this isn't just like, I'm not watching Columbo. I'm like doing my research, Mr. Director of my, of my program. So John Heileman was hired by Wired throughout 1996 to write a column called The Netizen. He went on the campaign trail to watch this first digital election, and he spent the entire year bitching and moaning about how they're not being digital enough. It is tedious to read. So the November one is him doing a wrap-up of like, okay, what happened? What do we learn? And the thing he kept on, like the thing that really upset him that he shared, and I think he shared this in previous columns too, but the thing that like really got to him was this conversation he had with a Phil Graham staffer, because Phil Graham was like talking about using the web. And he was like, yeah, like he didn't seem really committed to it. And the staffer says to him like, you know, we just said that to get media attention, to just, just to get the media coverage. And John Highlands, circa 1996 feels betrayed by this. Cause like, why don't you realize the net revolution is coming? And why don't you try to play to the dozens of us who are online right now? And it's like, oh, sweetie. Oh God. But the, like the reason why I raise that now, like the reason that stands out is that is still very much true that often what we're doing on social social media like the literature is caught up with this we now call it hybrid media right because a lot of what you were trying to do I mean hell this was Trump's Twitter strategy was you do things on social media because that's where the uh, news organizations are and then they cover it and that amplifies them so like if you want like a basic heuristic for over the next few months where should you spend your time and attention 
ask yourself, who are the journalists that we want covering this at other sites? Where are they spending their time? If they're still on Twitter, then you're still on Twitter. If they've moved to threads, you're on threads. And in particular, like this really gets into the 1986 stuff. If a bunch of the coverage that you want, uh, since threads is pretty new and Blue Sky and other stuff are pretty new, if there's a bunch of editors right now assigning to their journalists, hey, go find out what's happening on this new thing, then you should probably invest on trying to look like what's happening on the new thing because then you're going to get a bunch of novelty coverage that you otherwise wouldn't get. So like, it it may sound kind of trite to be like, go where the journalists are so you can get their attention. But like, that's how it's always like, that's that's been true since 1996. It's still true now. Like if you want amplification, go where the amplifiers are. Well, again, this is or so two thoughts here. One is it's not just circa 96. It goes back further. And I got to give a shout out here to uh, Eric Loeb, who did email for every Democratic presidential campaign starting in 1992, up through, I think, Obama's midterm. And uh, Chris Casey, who wrote the first book about internet politics called The Hill on the Web. She was Senator Kennedy's systems administrator. Um, and it was flailing and floundering, right? I mean, we had a gopher server went over for Coppersmith. But this is further back. This is uh, this is pseudo events, mm-hmm. right? Why do you have a rally to make it look like we're impressive and important? Why are you doing it in these places? Because this is where the reporters and the media coverage is, right? You go to where they are. Two other thoughts of this, though. One is, uh, I think you make a really good point that you don't just follow the reporters. If you figure out people covering your issue are in threads, you arrange a bunch of stuff to make it look like you own that space. Mm-hmm. We are making climate threads a thing. All the climate stuff is here and just repost all the climate stuff, right? So now, hey, all the climate people are on threads. Who's leading this charge? Oh, well, this, this climate group is leading this charge of climate on threads. So now you're not just following the reporters. You're making it look as if everybody in the world cares about it and you're at the center of that universe because that's what the reporter sees. Therefore, it must be happening. Outputs aren't outcomes. Mm-hmm. Coverage doesn't necessarily equal votes or policy change or donations. They can be, it's an important way to get at those things, but the point isn't to be in the New York Times, mm-hmm. right? The point is to get a legislative victory in, you know, Phoenix or in the Connecticut State House or in Congress, or it's to raise X amount of money, right? And so it's really easy for campaigns to mistake attention for action, right? And this makes every social media manager everywhere furious. Why, these people have many more followers than we do. Well, yeah, and they're all high school students, you know, in Brazil. Like, we need to affect the city council, which means we need a handful of middle-aged moms and a couple of faith leaders. Like, we don't, yeah, but look at how many followers, right? So, again, a familiar problem. Again, a familiar problem. But go where... Who do you want to get to do what as a result of what you're doing? What do they need to hear from whom to get them to do it? Social is the same as canvassing, as the same as rallies, TV, direct mail, all the rest of it. Yeah. The, and the promise of social has tended to be maybe this is a new lever. And when we pull it, maybe we can, it maybe it can help us win a little bit more where we otherwise would be losing. Yeah. And, fights where the deck is stacked against us. And usually the answer ends up being being uh, like, no, that lever didn't work very well because when you're trying, anything that is worth doing is probably hard enough that like there's not going to be a magic bullet solution right, or a silver, silver bullet solution. But still, if we're moving to a spot where things seem new, 
there's two new levels like levers like maybe pull them particularly when something matters a lot and otherwise the status quo is like oh we're gonna get a little tension we're gonna lose uh, you can fit a little bit have some fun fiddle with its right word learn from it learn don't be afraid to abandon it um, and have the conversations madeline says engage in the conversation listen to what's going on the other piece of new tech over the night of the clock there is this other tech though again madeline also talks about in the hot pod insider newsletter which is put out by the verge again this is also from uh, july 6 is what uh, podcasting in the 24 cycle madeline's argument in a piece which tells both sides of it is that podcasting is like cable used to be it's niche broadcasting some podcasts tragically not ours have have more listeners and viewers than than cable shows but like that's like this audio i know everybody hey, you have more listeners and viewers than some cable shows no that's true that's true and even in some podcasts even in some podcasts which is why we're canceling it as we're peaking because we're canceling because you took a, a service job that leaves you with no time because you're too much of a sucker to say no but you can identify, like, you know people listening to a podcast care about a specific thing, and if there are enough of them there, get on that podcast, and you're just feeding that content to that thing, right? Again, it's like canvassing. We're going, when I canvass for that group that apparently you hate and about which I'm deeply, deeply ambivalent, oh, look, there's a Volvo in the driveway with a no nukes bumper sticker. I'm talking to these people. Like, that's podcasting. Right? Uh, I would prefer not to think of podcasting as canvassing. Because I enjoy podcasting. I hate canvassing so much. Well, you enjoy podcasting. I, podcasting is fun. I only have to talk to you, and it's not actually in person. Yeah. Which is sort of the best of both worlds. It's the best way to talk to me. But again, but it's, again, if you think about podcasting, where do you podcast? I don't know. Who's listening to the pod, and what are they doing about it? Right? It'd be great to get on SmartList somehow. Everybody listens, but nobody listens to SmartList says, that's a really interesting idea. I will now write a letter to my city councilman. Right? Instead, it's hopefully for listening to this podcast, hey, social media, here's a way to think about social media. Or if it's a, I don't know, if you're on climate, you take this climate action, right? But again, it's potentially don't write off podcasting because it's peaked. Don't embrace it because it's the next big thing. Figure out, does it help you get to the next thing? Again, bearing in mind, time and attention are limited. Will it get you more than the other thing you could be doing while you're doing the podcast? Yeah. Uh, the, the thing I would add to that, I think peaked is... I would use it more than peaked, which is stabilized. Stable. Right? And the difference there is once something has stabilized, you can get a decent feel for, like, what is this thing good for? Like, what can it do well? What can't it do well? When it's still on the rise, like, any any hunch you have, you get to recheck later because, well, it's still on the rise. Maybe things are changing. Like, podcasting isn't over, but it ain't growing anymore, for sure. And so now you can, you, know, you kind of know what the big podcasts are. If you can get on those, you know what, on, you know, if you can get on Joe Rogan, a lot of people are going to listen to you and they all suck. If you can get on Kara Swisher's podcast, like I will listen to you because that podcast is great and it's huge. And if you can get on our podcast, then like our former students and current students will listen to you, which is very useful if you want to like let them know that they should sign up for strategic clinical communication. Great class. Great class. <laughs> but you know, like the point here is once that has stabilized, you can then familiarize yourself with what does this work for and what doesn't, and you can then ask yourself, when is this going to be worth worth our time and attention? When should we do this instead of something else? When a medium is growing, like right now, you can't really do it with threads because it's less than a week old. And so as things are changing, and you also can't do it with Twitter because it's breaking down. 
So it is when it is stabilized that you can kind of make those assessments and be confident in them. That's where we are with podcasting now, less so with other social. There we go. That sounds like a, uh, a great way to end this thing. We'll say, well, we were going to talk a little bit about climate and how it's going to be depressing. We can save that for next time. There'll be plenty of time to be uh, depressing about climate later. Yeah, you know, you know, we've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good good news on climate is it'll always be something to be depressed about. It just, it's eye to the clock. It's summer school. These kids, they want to go do summer school things. We had several days of the hottest uh, day in world history last week, and it's early July. The world is hotter than it has ever been. And we are responding by mostly discussing which billionaire is going to punch which other billionaire in the head. Not the world we wanted to live in, definitely the world we do live in. But again, 202 weeks, and I will whine about that. <laughs> Your update on how to handle all the new social media. The answer to that is, I don't know, so we should be handling every other media. Uh, and Dave is, Dave is angry. Angry and a little sad. That's angry and a little sad. It's, we're just trying to find the perfect balance, the Pareto point of Dave's level of Dave's misery and anger. Uh, thank you always for listening. Thank you, Alana, for producing. I would say rate us, follow us, like us, but please don't be on Twitter. Still rate us, follow us, and like us. I'm telling you, this will come out of the hibernate. We're just hibernating now. It's going to come back someday. We're just hibernating. I don't think either of us going to have a different job. We're going to be working at SMBA for the rest of our lives. So the podcast will come back. Rattling, rattling our rhetorical cans in the cyberspace. Stubby, we've had enough of this. Thanks, everybody. See you in two weeks. Bye.